This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Monday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart and mind, life questions, what we believe as Christians and why, I'll do the best I can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. At 340-9585, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions at cal- by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app for free. If you're driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. Hope you had a great weekend in church. I know yesterday afternoon was hard with the news about Kobe Bryant. I'm going to be talking about that just a little bit at the top of the program. Um, um, hope you had a great day in church. Hope people got saved. We, we had some people get saved yesterday. That's always a, a good thing. And I'm um, glad to be back with you on the show today. You know, uh, Paul and I had chapel today. We did chapel for the kids. Paula had the bigger kids. And I had the little kids. And I was amazed at how many of the kids were hurting and and um, really trying to deal with uh, the issue of Kobe Bryant and his daughter being killed. And I know this isn't a program about sports, but, but one of the things I, I'm aware I'm talking to Christians but one of the things that we have to communicate to people, and every time something like this happens suddenly and tragically, um, my first thought is always that they didn't know that this was their last day on earth when they got up yesterday morning. It was just like any other day. They were going to do uh, the same kind of things they do all the time. And uh, yesterday, they met Jesus. I, I hope and pray they met him as... Um, someone who's known to the Lord. Uh, I, I hope they met him as a friend rather than a foe, and I, I, I have great hope at least for the daughter. Um, but there were other families and kids on that helicopter as well. We have an urgency. Let me rephrase. We need to have an urgency. To share the gospel. We've got the, the words of life. And when something like this happens, it's staggering. Um, I didn't find out till right after third service yesterday. Uh, and, and as Paula said, it's just sad. It's sad. Um, I was not a Lakers fan, but I grew up in Southern California. I've known um, Kobe through his whole career. When I say I've known him, I don't know him personally. He's not a friend or anything. Um, but the only thing that matters in the end is Jesus. What did you do with Jesus? In yesterday's message here at Calvary Chapel, um, we talked about Jesus before Pilate being accused falsely of things. And Pilate had opportunity after opportunity to do what he knew was the right thing to do, but he refused to do it. That's why we who are believers going out and telling people how they can come to heaven, to tell people how they can live a rich, full life here. 
but we owe it to him. And we need to tell. I, I know God is faithful. I know that Kobe Bryant knew the gospel. I am told that his family attends a Catholic church. I pray that he was born again. And what I'd like all the Christians in this radio audience to deal with is the unthinkable pain that his wife and three other daughters are going through today. Now, two of them are very young, but they've got a dad and a daughter, a sister, a husband, who's never coming home again. And right now they need our prayers. It's an unthinkable occurrence. But please keep them in prayers. This is also a good opportunity for the parents in this audience to sit down with their children, talk to them. I, I was surprised how many of the kids were hurting. We got basketball fans and you know we got a bunch of kids that wear Kobe shirts all the time when they're they're playing and, and doing things and, and and you know when young kids are dealing with death and it hits close to home it's a hard thing. They need answers. They need parents who'll sit down and take the time to listen to them and talk to them and explain to them. And I think this is a good opportunity. All I know is they got up yesterday and expected a great day. Didn't turn out that way. And we need to be praying especially for the wife and mother and the sisters of those who were perished yesterday. Okay, I'll get off that high horse now and just um, go to some questions. I think we've got a phone call waiting. Uh, let's go to Nicole on line one. Nicole, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. I really appreciate all that you've been doing. And I listen to you every morning religiously on my way to work. <laughs> you get up early, yes, don't you? I, uh, <laughs> yes, I do. I start working at 6, so I listen to you on my way to work in the morning. And I'm so blessed by your words and your encouragement every day. I'm just so blessed. And sometimes, you know, when I miss it, I'm like, oh, man, I miss Pastor Arbach today. And... um <laughs> You just bless my heart so much, Pastor, and I, I'm so thankful for you and for the word that God has laid on your heart each day for you to share with these people because it's been a tremendous blessing to me. And you, the things that you, the way you explain the, the scriptures is awesome. I never really understood. A lot of times when I read the Bible, I don't understand it. And so when you explain it the way you do it on a daily basis, it's very, very awesome. And, and I'm so thankful. So I just want you to know Thank that. You, and, Thank you. Yes, sir. You're welcome. But I do have a question. Um, I was wondering about, I was listening to your program a couple of weeks ago about the watchers um, that got caused, cast out of heaven, and they came down to mate with the, you know, the females, and, had, and they had those giant children, those giant offspring. I wonder, do you think those, like, um, I, I watched, you know, some documentaries on TV, and sometimes I'll see these huge rocks and um, carvings and stones and that they are, you know, like Easter Island rocks that they said mm -hmm. they cannot explain how they got there. And I was wondering, do you think those were the kinds of giant beings who created those? Those kinds of huge, you know, buildings and carvings that nobody can tell, who, you know, how they got where they are in, the, in various places around the world? Yeah, you know, Nicole, Nicole, that's out of my area of expertise. I, I I don't know how they were created. I know that that all creation is is designed to bring glory to God, and and the things that we see and the formations and and um, like you were talking about the sheer mass and size of some of these things right. are overwhelming, and how they how they built stuff or how they moved things, uh, who knows? But but. Um, all, all I do is kind of sit back and enjoy them and, and worship the Lord as a result of it. But I, I just don't really know an answer for that. Right. Okay. 
And oh, and, and, and the last part, which this part, sometimes I think about this, but I, uh, I don't know if it's a stupid question, but sometimes I wonder if some of, um, some of, some of us human beings who are super tall, I'm wondering, do you think we have any, those beings as anything to do with us being the way we are, as tall as we are? Yeah, you know, um, uh, th- that, that I do know the answer to, Nicole. Um, the answer f- for that question is no, not at all, because the, the whole earth, except for eight people, was wiped out at the flood. So there was only eight people left, and, and while we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, uh, we're more recently all descendants of Noah and his family. Noah. So uh, right. uh, that was the purpose of the flood, to, 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 to cleanse the, the earth, from from those beings and those demons and and um, uh, when they were wiped away in the flood, uh, we no longer mm-hmm. had to deal with them. Now, obviously, uh, we can go later in scriptures, hundreds of years later, uh, in in the scriptures, and find that uh, there are still some really tall people. Uh, I mean, yes, you can go I'm to. <laughs> oh, you are! I'm jealous. Yes. I, I know. Yeah, I know nothing about being tall. But but you know if if oh if if you go to um, places in Africa um, and okay. you see people that are so tall and 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 beautifully so um, you know yeah. that's just breeding when when you you are with people and you're you're breeding uh, along the same types of people then you're going to get tall people if if I was to have if Paul and I we had normal sized kids. But Paul and I are both very, very short. But uh, I, w- I wish I was tall. <laughs> okay, Pastor, thank you so much. I really appreciate mm-hmm. everything that you do. And I, and I actually, I tried um, driving by your area the other day to visit to see where the church is at because I want. I do have a, a I'm a member of another church, but I do want to visit your church one day. You know, because I really appreciate your word, the words that you explain to us daily and just share with the audience daily. I really do appreciate it and I want to come and visit on a mm-hmm. Sunday. So I went Nicole, back up there, I, I didn't find it, but I'm going to go back. <laughs> okay, and, and I would love that. Just be sure you you have somebody come up and bring you to me so I can I can introduce myself and give you a hug, okay? Okay, sir. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank, thank you, Nicole. You too. Oh, how sweet. Made my day. Hey, by the way, for Nicole and anybody else who's listening, uh, our um, teaching show that comes on early in the mornings, uh, 5 o'clock on this station, 5.30 on another station, they also come on in the evenings. Uh, we are going to be starting uh, Hebrews um, in on, on our daily show. Uh, so that will be coming pretty soon. I think we're finishing Isaiah pretty quickly. Uh, on the radio right now, and, and we will be um, uh, going to the book of Hebrews next. So thank you for the call, Nicole. 340-9585. Let's get to a question that was sent in uh, to our email inbox. This one is from Pamela. Uh, she said, my brother is living with his ex-wife, and she capitalized the ex. Uh, neither has been with another person since the divorce. He's been a Christian most of his life, but this is not the first time he has been in disobedience. He is in a Bible-believing church. He is an ordained minister, but has not worked in that capacity for a long time. I recently confronted him, and he admitted he should get remarried, and they want to be married, and then he would no longer feel guilty. It appears that there are financial problems, and I believe the ex-wife is on welfare. So I believe that he has a trust in the Lord problem. I agree with your assessment, Pamela. My question to you is, what are my remaining responsibilities to him, if any? Should I continue to follow up on this issue? The Bible tells us to talk to a brother when we find him in sin. I have done that. I also talked with my two other brothers who are Christians before I approached uh, the brother in sin. My two other brothers uh, did not want to approach him on this issue. Thank you very much, Ron and Paula, and may God bless you, your sister in Christ, Pamela. Um, Pamela, God bless you for loving your brother enough to say the hard things. You know, families, dynamics get really upset when we have to go to somebody and confront them in their sin. But it is our responsibility to do so. And not to do so would be unloving. Uh, Your brothers, um, your two other brothers not wanting to approach him, 
uh, I'm assuming they're Christians because you approach them. Uh, that is not love. Um, this is a guy, because he's an ordained minister, um, he's accountable to God. And to say, well, I know I should get remarried, but, and maybe there are financial problems, uh, he's in a place where God cannot possibly bless him. He's in a place where he can have no fellowship or relationship with God at all. I'm not questioning his salvation. I'm just saying that there's no relationship with the Lord because that relationship has been broken by sin. And so he is on his own, and what we do when we're on our own is we repeat the mistakes of the past. Now, I would love to see him and his ex-wife uh, get married, repent first, get right with God, and then get remarried. That would bring great honor and glory to the Lord. But the longer he's in this situation, uh, the more difficult, not less difficult, the more difficult it's going to be. Jesus intentionally makes it difficult for people who are in rebellion. And he doesn't need things to be more difficult now. With regard to your question, what is your responsibility? You fulfilled it. The only thing that I would suggest now and, and and you don't say, Pamela, whether you go to the same church he does or not. Um, but this is a matter now for the church leadership to deal with. Um, they need to know that he is living in a sinful relationship. And then it's up to the church to exercise discipline if he refuses to repent. So you fulfilled your responsibility. Perfectly consider, especially if you, you know his church or go to the same church. Uh, prayerfully consider telling uh, the pastor, the leadership of the church, uh, and let them now take over and deal with it. But God bless you, Pamela, for doing the right thing. That's really, really important. You did the right thing, and Jesus is pleased with you, even though you risked the relationship. Pray for him. I know you are, but never stop praying for him. And whatever it takes, what we want is your brother to be in fellowship with God. Right now, he is so far away from the Lord that he's on his own. And as I said a moment ago, that's always going to be a difficult place to be. Hope that makes sense. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from Nacho. He says, I have a question about the trees in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. Uh, could we assume that Adam and Eve ate from the tree of life since they were only forbidden not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when they did eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then that is when God hid uh, the said tree of life from them in Genesis chapter 3. The assumption is that once Adam and Eve were in a state of sin, God did not want them to live forever in that state, and thus took away the tree of life. Uh, not sure that's exactly correct. Um, you know, the, the worst possible thing. That's why he had that tree of life in the garden guarded by an, uh, a cherub with a flaming sword. So no, God did not want, nor did he ever intend for man to live forever in sin. Imagine what that would have been like. So when God said, if you eat the fruit of the, the uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die um, death entered the world right there and it wasn't God's intent but that's just the consequence or the result and so what happened Nacho was um, they they no longer had access to that tree uh, and they began the process of dying now we know that at the beginning people lived for hundreds and hundreds of years over 900 in this case so um, once they sinned they violated what they knew God's will was then death was in their future and they began that moment to die. Spiritually they died. Um, God allowed them to make sacrifices to keep the fellowship with God alive. But it was never the same. So that's exactly what they did. And, and yes, we can assume that they ate from the tree of life uh, in the garden before the fall. And how wonderful it must have been. You know what I think about Nacho when... Uh, I think about this in, this incident. And by the way, for the audience, I'm going to be starting on Wednesday nights in the book of Genesis a week from this Wednesday. Um, I just feel it's been 10 years, a little bit plus, since I taught Genesis. Uh, this will be the third time we've gone through it in the church. It's such a foundational book. I want to be sure that 
that I don't miss any of the generations coming through the church. I want everybody to be able to, to, to really understand uh, Genesis. That's how essential it is to our faith. And uh, one of the things that I always think about is after the fall, God bringing Cain and Abel before Cain killed Abel um, and probably making it a, a yearly or bi-yearly or some sort of um, routine the family fell into, a trip right to the edge of the garden. And it would be a great opportunity for uh, Adam and Eve to say to their children, look, this is where we used to live. And he would describe how perfect it was, what a paradise it was. And as they would look at the inn, you know, through and, and maybe maybe be able to get a glimpse of the cherub with the flaming sword, uh, Adam would have the opportunity to say to his boys, don't do what I did. He would explain how he would get up every morning and walk in the cool of the garden with the Lord. And he would be able to use that as a lesson for the kids. Don't do what I did. Don't make the same mistake. And we know Cain did. But you see, that's the nature of sin. Good question, Nacho. Week from Wednesday, we get to start that. Here is a question from our email inbox from Chip. If I read Exodus 9-6 correctly, all the livestock in Egypt was killed by the plague the Lord placed on them. But after the plague of boils, just before the plague of hail, hail, there is a reference of Egyptian livestock in verse 19. Was there a distinct period of time, weeks or months, between each plague, or was there a specific longer time period between the plague of livestock and the plague of hail? Enough time so that the Egyptians were able to recover most, uh, if not all, of their livestock. Uh, you know, Chip, that question's been asked before. It's not a contradiction at all. Uh, we don't know what the time frame was between the plagues. Um, God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. So no doubt that there was significant time between each of the plagues. And then God would send Moses back and they would go through the whole process again. But one of the things that we have to remember is that Egypt was the world power at the time. So if their livestock was dead, they would just go take it from other nations. So there would be no problem. They would have the other nations bring gifts. They would bring uh, livestock and other sacrifices uh, just just because they could. So uh, I don't think there's any mystery here, and certainly there's no contradiction. It's just that the, the livestock at the time of the plague of hail came, uh, they died. And they would go out and get more and and bring them back. So... Um, that they showed up a little bit later uh, isn't a surprise at all. Of course, um, they would need uh, to do everything they could to be able to eat, to be able to provide, to provide milk, other things. So that's the answer. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the livestock of of uh, the Israelites um, was probably taken as well. Their livestock didn't die in the plague of hail. So uh, their livestock would be taken as well. Egypt was a bully. Egypt is the type of the world, by the way. And believe me, the world that we live in is a bully. The world that we live in is trying to beat us down. That's why Paul says we're not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of the world. Good question. Thank you very much, Chip. We still got one question before a break. Richard says this, if someone doesn't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today, are they really saved? Um, Richard, if they're born again, they are. Now, um, the fact that somebody believes in the gifts or doesn't believe that the gifts are for today is not an essential issue of our Christian faith. I do believe it's an essential issue for a fruitful, abundant life, but certainly it is not um, um, an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. So people are free to believe we can have, um, uh, we need to have unity in essentials, liberty uh, in, in, in those things that are not essential. And um, whether or not somebody is a cessationist uh, is not an essential of the historic Christian faith. 
Um, I know a lot of people who don't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Many of them reformed in their theology, and I think they're missing out. However, um, I know they love Jesus. I know they have the same Jesus. I know they, they, they believe um, that Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son, that he died for the sins of the world, and they place their faith in him. So I would ask them to be uh, a little better in the exegesis of Scripture. But um, it is not a salvation issue, so yes, they can be truly saved. Good question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hey, welcome back to our program. We have 30 minutes left. 340-9585. I'm laughing because somebody just sent me a, a cartoon. And it's Jesus standing on a rock. And he's got a fish in one hand and a piece of bread in the other hand. And there's just this long, long line of people. And somebody says to him, has that fish been tested for mercury? And then somebody else says, I can't eat that. I'm vegan. And then somebody else says, is that bread gluten-free? It just struck me as funny. You know, we we all kind of act sometimes like Jesus is our server at a restaurant. And can you imagine Jesus holding out the bread of life? He's about to do this miracle to feed all these people. And they want to put in their specific orders. Oh, well, I thought that was cute. Let's go to our next question. It is from... Sorry, my eyes aren't adjusting very quickly. From Gilbert. He says, I know we will be judged in heaven for our works. How can we be sure that we'll get rewards and what kind of works have to be done? Well, Gilbert, if you're saved, if you're born again, no works have to be done for salvation. So that's important to understand. The judgment that Christians, the Bema seat in Greek, the, the Bema seat, uh, Romans 12, First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, um, it, it's a judgment of our works to determine the quality of the works, whether works are good or good for nothing. The, the Bible says good or bad, but, but literally it's good or good for nothing. Um, so, yes, we will stand before the Lord and be judged. Now, here's the picture that's in my mind, Gilbert. Uh, as we stand before the Lord, remember the whole purpose is so that each can receive his or her reward from God. And I always picture this. Jesus, now I've got this vivid image of Jesus from Revelation chapter 1 in my, in my mind. I, I never let it go away. And imagine him opening this big cabinet of, of crowns of righteousness. And he wants to give them to us. And he'll reach in and get it. And then he'll hand it to us and we'll see the scars in his hand. And as he gives it to us, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he'll go back and get the next one and the next one and the next one. But there's going to be some rewards that we don't get. Because we weren't faithful. Because we weren't obedient. Maybe because we did the work, but we did it with the wrong heart or with the wrong motive. Instead of just bringing glory to him, um, um, what we do is we have um, an ulterior motive. And those are the works that are always going to be burned up. You know, we can do the right thing with the wrong heart. No reward for that. Sometimes we can do the wrong thing with the right heart and the rewards will still be there. So, Gilbert, that's the kind of works that we're going to be judged for. So, what do you have to do? Uh, be obedient to the Lord. 
See, this isn't one of those things, okay, I want to get everything. It's, it's more of, I don't want to miss out on anything. And so, Galatians chapter 5, look at the, the fruit of the Spirit. And if your life is characterized by those good fruits of the Spirit, then you're not going to miss out on any reward. If you hang out with Jesus, if you stay where he is, if you follow him and obey him, then you're not going to miss out on anything. You know, one of the things that comforts me, Gilbert, more than almost anything else relative to this issue of rewards, and we humans are so worried about missing out on something. And we're not going to miss out on anything as long as we stay with Jesus. And somebody once said, worried, I'll never get married. Nobody's ever going to say yes to me. And I said, look, just follow Jesus. If it's his plan for you to be married... You follow him, he'll take you right to the place that you need to be to meet the man or the woman that he's got waiting for you. And we don't like that because we like to take matters into our own hands. That's why, and I'm going to go off here for a moment, but just a minute. (laughs) That's why so many Christians are on dating apps, They're trying the best they can to meet that person instead of just letting Jesus do the work. You know, when Nicole called at the top of the show, oh, no, I'm sorry, it's not Nicole, it was Pamela in in, uh, her question. She said, I think there's just a trust in the Lord issue. I, I think many of us as Christians, we have a trust in the Lord issue. He doesn't move at our speed. We want him to go faster. And so we take over. And Gilbert, when we take over, then you're going to miss out on some of the rewards that God has for you. So yeah, we're going to be judged. Please remember, this isn't the judgment of salvation. If you are born again, you're saved by the blood. All of your sins have been wiped away past, present, and future. But there's going to be a glorious moment when we receive those rewards. Here's a strange question. I've been thinking about this because I knew I would get to it today. And I'm not quite sure yet how to answer. It's from Bud. And he says, Pastor Ron, if you didn't pastor a church, where would you go to church? Um, you know, I, I, I really don't have an answer other than to say I, I would come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio as long as the pastor who was here was teaching the Word and teaching it faithfully. But one of the things about coming to church here, bud, is that um, the people are so welcoming. It's so loving. And there, there's, it, in, unless you force yourself to be a stranger, you can't be a stranger here. Now, I'm not naturally an outgoing person. I'm married to one of the most outgoing people in the world. But I'm not that person. So I'd be the guy that would walk into a church and sit down in a chair and just stay to myself and enjoy the worship and enjoy the Word. But see, it's impossible to do that here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. There's going to be somebody who introduces himself to you. Somebody who wants to hug you. There's going to be somebody who, who uh, is going to invite you to lunch. I mean, that's just the way it is here. And And I would want to go to a church like that. Now, if you're talking about what kind of a pastor would I listen to, um, um, one of the pastors that I respect maybe more than anybody now, um, just watching him over the years and watching how he's gone through really difficult things, in fact, going through a difficult time right now, is uh, Tony Evans in Dallas, South Dallas. Um, I would want a, a pastor with that kind of integrity uh, a pastor who would rightly divide the word as he does. Now, we, we don't have um, exactly the same doctrinal positions, very close, but we're, we're not the same. He certainly does church different than I do. But I'd want a guy who loves Jesus. Dr. Evans clearly does. Uh, a pastor who loves his family, and he does. A pastor who loves God's word, and he does. Um, and then I want to be in a place where I have the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given me. So, Bud, I don't know if that really helps you, but that's about as much as I can do. 
um, he is, uh, that's, you know how I can answer? Here's the perfect answer. Praise the Lord, I am a pastor, and this is the church he sent me to plant. So, thanks for that, bud. Here's a question from James. I don't understand how there can be sin in the millennium when Jesus is ruling. James, I, I, I don't either. Now, two, two things to understand for you and for me, assuming you're a born-again Christian. Um, we won't be able to sin. We will be in our glorified, physical, resurrected bodies. The sin nature done, the sin nature dealt with. Uh, we won't be tempted. We'll be faithful servants of God um, and for, for, the, for the whole thousand years and then on into eternity. But remember, there's going to be billions, multiplied billions of people. That's a thousand years. What are we at, 330 million, 340 million in our nation right now? Um, and, and we're less than 300 years old. Imagine how big something could get over a thousand years with people living to be 900 years old and, and above the way it was at the beginning. Um, and so there'd be these multiplied billions of people Hundreds of billions, maybe. Who knows? And um, they're still going to be in their flesh and blood bodies. They're the people who are going to survive the Great Tribulation and go into the Great Tribulation. And when they come out of it, they have a choice to make. I'm going to be with Jesus, and it'll be the perfect government, the perfect justice, perfect righteousness, no more... um, politics, no more elections, um, and yet there's still going to be sin. Why? Because in our flesh is nothing good. And so people are going to choose to sin. Now the difference, James, in the millennium is that when people choose to sin, the judgment of God is going to be swift and perfect. Isaiah says that somebody who dies at a hundred will be considered a mere youth. Um, but when they die, it will be because they're judged and that's because we sin. At the end of the thousand years, James, as I'm sure you know, um, the, 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 the enemy, the devil, is going to be let loose again to give the people who were born uh, under Jesus' rule and reign, um, give them a, a choice. Everybody has to have a choice. Nobody can be forced to, to serve God. Uh, and, and he's going to deceive so many that they're described as like the, the grains of sand on the seashore in the world. Um just to prove once and for all that the problem is and always has been humans. Good question. Let's go to Dale calling from Jonestown. Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Add a uh, follow-up question to the um, question about uh, gifts of the Spirit and cessationists. Um, I know there's a lot of believers who are cessationists. What about the case where they see somebody speaking in tongues and say that that's of a different power or of that person themselves. Does that count as a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Yeah. No, Dale, it doesn't. Blasphemy the Holy Spirit uh, is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit um, unto death. Uh, when, when Jesus said the only sin that can't be forgiven is blaspheming the Holy Spirit... Jesus said the Spirit came to, to, uh, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. If we die in a condition having rejected the, the truth, the work of the Holy Spirit, that's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Now, here's where it gets dicey, Dale, because, um, and I've had somebody tell me, um, I do have the gift of tongues. Now, we do not do crazy stuff here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. But I had somebody tell me, oh, the, that, that gift is from the devil. And, and I tell them, you know, you need to be really careful with that. You're messing with people that God is crazy about and gifts of the Spirit that he's given. No doubt, I understand that there are people who, who sort of go overboard because of the abuses of the gift of tongues. But the truth of the matter is, is it is a gift. Paul said, I would that you all spoke in tongues more than I do. Uh, I think some of it uh, they will just attribute to being of the devil. Uh, others of them will say, well, you just don't understand what we understand about Scripture. 
but they're not exegeting the scriptures well. Now, we need to share the blame, Dale, because in way too many Christian churches, we've got people jumping around and flopping around and everybody speaking in tongues at once. And that's not of the, that's not of the Spirit of God. And we know that. We don't have to guess about that. We know that because Paul tells us that. He gives us the instructions in his word, which is written by the, by the Holy Spirit. And so if we violate that, uh, Paul even says, if somebody comes in who's not a believer and they see you all speaking in an unknown tongue, will they not think you're crazy? And, and um, that's the way a lot of people look at us. And, and sadly, I think most of the time, Dale, that cessationism begins uh, as an overreaction to the misuse and abuse of the gifts of the Spirit. Does that help? Oh, did we lose Dale? Okay. Thanks for the question, Dale. Hope that helps. Let's go to another question. We've got Raymond. Um, Pastor Ron, what does it mean not to be saved enough to get to heaven? I believe in Jesus, but have been told I may not be saved. Okay. I didn't understand the first part, Raymond, but I think I've got it. Um you know what? There's always legalists, Raymond. Now, the only thing you have to do to get to heaven is be born again. Uh, Jesus comes to live in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go to heaven. Now, usually what somebody means when they say something like that is that you're not worshiping the way they do. You don't believe in the same works sort of mentality that they do. Um, I've had people say that that uh, uh, I need to teach uh, the law, or I need to do the, and, and they'll look at me like, "Well, well, you're not giving your people what they need to be saved." When in fact, uh, we're teaching the Bible line by line, verse by verse. Um, but, but Raymond, this is something that you really need to check your own heart. The Apostle Paul says that we're to examine ourselves daily to see whether or not we're in the faith. And it's possible, in fact, in this case, it is probable that what people are seeing in your life looks too much like the life of an unbeliever. And I hate to keep going back to the Galatians 5 passage, but if you'll go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and see that list of bad fruit of the Spirit, um, if your life is characterized by those things, then what you need to do is Examine your heart. Go before the Lord and say, well, why am I living like this? Um, um, if, if, if you're drinking alcohol and somebody says, well, you shouldn't drink alcohol, ask the Lord why you're doing it. Now, you're free to drink in moderation if you choose to, but be like the Apostle Paul and say, you know, although all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Maybe your language is a little bit ugly. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, you, you don't talk like somebody who's saved. Ask the Lord to really examine your heart. And Raymond, and especially this is true for men, we don't like to do that because it forces us to change. So please, please, please examine your heart. Use this opportunity. And, and you might go before the Lord this way. You might go and say, Jesus, evidently, my witness hasn't been very good. So show me all the things in my life that you don't want there. Hope that helps. Thank you, Raymond. Let's go to the phones, and we've got... Oh, Dale's back online. Good, I thought we lost you, Dale. You said you have a follow-up question? Yeah, I was uh, hoping to get some edification here. Um, You know, this was concerning to me because I was watching a program with my wife the other night about street healers. And, you know, they were going about in a format that was almost like, you know, David Blaine the Magician. And, you know, laying their hands on people. And people were saying they feel this power. And, you know, I told my wife if they are feeling a power, it's not from the Lord. Uh, And that it's almost like playing with a Ouija board. And then Mm -hmm. I started thinking about Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, what if I'm wrong, and what are the implications? (laughs) Yeah, um, Dale, you're not wrong. Um, You know, a a lot of times, especially when 
you get a, a crowd together and, and these kind of things start happening, people fall down or or they'll say, well, I feel this burning coming from the top of my head to the tip of my toes kind of thing. Um, you know, those are psychosomatic things. I mean, the power of suggestion, our, our brains are so fertile for that. And there's an enemy there. Now, that doesn't mean the people who are experiencing that that those feelings um, are possessed by the devil. It doesn't mean they're not saved. What it means is that they haven't opened their Bibles to understand what's going on. So, And it, it happens in churches. It happens in crusade events. Um, now you say it's happening in the streets. Um, those are the kinds of things, the silliness that we get caught up in, that the rest of the world looks at us and just sort of mocks us because even unbelievers know that is nonsense. Um, but no, you weren't close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit at all. Um, but what I would do in a situation like that is I would be talking to people in the crowd and telling them about who the real Jesus is. And in some cases, I've actually confronted uh, people who start teaching that nonsense. And, and I, when I say confront, it's an ugly word, but, but I don't mean I do it in an ugly way. But, um, you know, we, we've got to stand for who Jesus really is and, and this charismatic nonsense. Again, we are charismatics here at Calvary Chapel. But this charismatic nonsense that goes on, uh, it, it only happens in churches where the Bible's not really taught. It's preached. People have big events, but it's not really taught. And all you're doing, Dale, is rightly dividing the Word of God. And uh, I'm going to encourage you to keep doing that because um, that kind of stuff just doesn't have any value. I've been involved in big events where I knew there was power there, but I knew it wasn't the power of God. So it seems to me like you get a pretty good grip on it. Does that make sense? All right. Makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you, you for being right a, a man who studies their Bible. Thanks, Dale. God bless. Well, we're inside right. five minutes. This time's going really quick. Here's a question from Joanne. Uh, I want to know if Christians are required to tithe. What if I want to, but my husband refuses? Um, Joanne, the husband and wife not being in agreement is always a hard thing. Now, let me say at the outset here that tithing is not required by any Christian. Giving is, but it's not giving because I have to. It's giving because I get to. It's giving because God has given to me. For God so loved the world that he gave. And when we give, it's in response to what has already been given to us. And if we give with the right heart, if we give uh, because we're grateful, then then we're not going to worry about our giving at all because it's going to be a pleasure and a joy. So Christians are not required to tithe. We should be the most generous people in the world and we should be people that give not only generously, but give joyfully. Now, with regard to your husband, uh, if he is an unbeliever, um, and I'm, I'm talking, you, you know, Joanne, but if he's an unbeliever, uh, then I wouldn't give. If he says no, then I wouldn't. First Peter chapter 3 would be um, your, your, your go-to study. And when you want to give, God knows your heart, and you're going to get rewards like you're giving. But just pray for your husband. Pray that he gets saved. And honestly, Joanne, um, I, I don't want anybody who's not saved to give here at Calvary Chapel. I really don't. Uh, I'm sure we get people that give, but but if an unbeliever came up and asked me, and we do Easter services, and that's coming up not too far in the future, when we do Easter services, we make sure that that the, the people know that uh, our offering boxes are only for believers. If you're not a believer, then we want this to be a great afternoon for you, a great morning for you, and enjoy the service, hear the Word of God being taught, hang out with the greatest people in the world, but we don't want your money. And we don't, we don't pass a, a plate or a bucket or anything like that. Um, but if your husband says no, then honor that. God will honor you as you honor that. Don't feel guilty. God understands. You 
follow First Peter 3 and then watch what God does with your, with your husband. If he is a believer, it's different. If he's a believer, then uh, what I would say to him is, look, uh, half of everything we have, uh, I'm, I'm an equal partner in this household, and I want to give to the Lord based on at least half of what we've got. And then do it. I go one step farther. If he is a believer and doesn't want to give, then I would make an appointment with my pastor and have you and your husband go and talk to him about it. And I think we can be that direct. And when I, I come up against people sometimes, Joanne, who, well, you know, I don't want to do it because the husband won't just say, look, you're a Christian. We're in this together. Let's go talk to the pastor. I'm going to make an appointment. You know, that we are to submit to our husband's leadership doesn't make us silent. Doesn't make us just, okay, honey, whatever you say. That's not it at all. You're partners. I can also tell you that if he's a believer and he refuses, you're not in the Word together. So tell him, please, would you read the Bible to me? I'll read it to you. You read it to me. And let God do all the work of changing his heart. Good question, Joanne. Thank you very much. We're out of time for today's program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I really appreciate you tuning in and taking the time to call. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.